See, notwithstanding the idea that Buddhists don't make noise, that they do this, we just all clapped <laughs> to say that's great. And so what other piece of new news do we have? Larry, is this really your last day here? Yes, it is. Okay, so you stand up now. This is everybody else's first day here. This is Larry's. Larry's been here for a while. He comes all the time. He's been a really uh, you know, active participant in our group. So we're going to miss you. And anytime you're back in the Bay Area, you come and visit. Okay, I'll, I'll miss you. But you were in the wrong place. You're always right over here, and now you're over here. I have, uh, in terms of hello and goodbye, an update on the situation with our friends Ace and Brahmani, who always sit right over there. Um, Brahmani has never been hospitalized. They were in an automobile accident the last two Wednesdays ago. Uh, Brahmani is quite over her concussion and Ace is moved from a hospital room to the area of the Santa Rosa Memorial where uh, they do intensive rehab. So he will be some months before he's walking, but uh, he's making a lot of progress and the rest of him is all fine. And if you want to send him a card, his uh, last name is Liebman, L-I-E-B-M-A-N. I don't even know what his first name is. I've never known him as anything but Ace. I think it's Andrew, but Mr. Liebman. <laughs> well, we're doing things a little differently today. If Ace were here, he'd say, well, you can't go right on. He always says, now everybody has to turn to each other and say at least a hello and touch each other. Well, why don't we do Ace's thing? Yeah. Okay, everybody has to look at, especially if someone said, I'm new. Then if, especially if they said I'm new, then take a little bit of time and say your name and invite them to come back. I'll talk to Kate for one minute. Ready, said go. <laughs> this feels so good. Thank you so much. It feels very right that you're here. This is the most like a, like a group class This feels the most like church. Mm-hmm. It feels very much like church to me. And the energy of Spirit Rock in general, you know, feels like humanist Buddhist church.
You know what's happening as the... Uh, <laughs> One of the things that I'm, uh, one of the things that I'm, I've been talking with Kate about in the last two minutes is that uh, that's actually uh, whether or not Ace is here. That's one of the more important things that we do here is we talk to each other, and uh, one of the things that uh, that I think that Buddhism in the West is now moving out of is the impression that other people have of Buddhist communities that they are contemplative all the time and that no one speaks in an ordinary tone of voice they don't laugh or touch each other or do regular things and I think that we just do regular things and in the middle of the regular things we companion ourselves and we we share with each other the basic understanding that life is complicated and that we can actually manage to do it when we uh, do it as a community, when we support each other and recognize that whatever we're doing and whatever travail is happening to us, it's happening to us because we're human beings and it's one of the things that happens to human beings. Last week we talked about the fact that uh, 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 Ace and Brahmini were on their way to class to talk about what happens to us as human beings. And uh, a driver, not driving carefully, just rode into them. And uh, he'll get better, but it'll be a long time for him to heal. There's so many parts of it to think about. Anything is a lesson, you know because um, he was in a very long surgery and they fundamentally rebuilt his whole pelvis and put in all kinds of... I said, so you're not going to be able to go through security anymore without... He said, no, I I have to tell them now that I have metal in my body. But the fact that people know how to do that, that's also an amazing thing, that that to to really have... um, be in contact as much as one can with a sense of awesomeness about life. I mean, it's true for everybody that there is old age and sickness and death, as the Buddha pointed out, and sometimes young age sickness and death, and sometimes young age accident and death. And, but fundamentally, there's, uh, the problem facing human beings is that we mourn loss when there is, um, when we lose something that's dear to us, We really mourn it, whether it's uh, a person or our own youth, you know. (laughs) I'm not going to tell too much, I'm going to let you talk in a minute. My my son's mother-in-law died uh, two years ago, and uh, I 
had gone to visit her and we were sitting together on what we both knew was probably the last time we'd be with her, each other in this life and I'd known her for more than 30 years and we looked at uh, photo albums of the wedding of her daughter to my son a long time ago and we had such a good time and she'd say, oh Sylvia look how beautiful we were and look how beautiful they were and, and uh, that we could be looking at it and knowing that uh, one of us said, you know, someday, years and years from now, the same genes that are in here are going to be walking around in other people, you know, that that's just the way it is. And to be able to see these life passages as manageable just the way it is, at, at the same time that we take tremendous and more and more tremendous care to preserve life, because it does, it is true that everything that dies, everything dies, but untimely is very painful, and that could be prevented if we had somehow um, come to terms with our impulses. So, I want people to know about you, Kate, and what you do, and how long you've been doing it, uh, rather than my saying, "This is Kate Munger," who and. I read yesterday on the website and everything, so I know. And I knew you before then. But I'd like you to say, I'm Kate Munger, and, and tell a long story about your life and how you got here. And how much Spirit Rock has contributed. Um, Kate Munger, um, in, 2000, in 2000, I started the first Threshold Choir, and now there are 160 choirs around the world of people... Uh, primarily women who sing at the bedsides of people who are dying. And my goal to create community through song using the internet has come to fruition. And um, I used to come to Sylvia's class before I started the choir and into the first few years, but then it got to be too much to come because I was traveling too much. And now I'm retired from running the business and get to just sing and come to Spirit Rock again. And uh, we go, when invited, in small groups, two, three, sometimes four people, and sing mostly to people who might not have a community of faith or um, their church's choir to come and sing for them. Our the lyrics, the poetry of our music is very humanistic, very natural, very um, non-religious, and yet tremendously sacred and deep. Thank you. And, oh, okay, then I'll start to whisper. (laughs) And it's mostly original. Um, Choir members have written pretty much all of our music Um, and it is a beautiful adjunct to community healing meditation making community uh, in, in many places and it's really a joy to be able to bring it to you this morning And I was here uh, three months after I started the choir. I volunteered at the International Buddhist Teachers Conference because His Holiness was coming. And I 
wanted to see him with my own eyes. And it was a tremendous experience to witness such a peaceful, forgiving human being. And I'm so grateful to have received his blessing right after I started the choir. Um, A year or two later, I received a blessing from Pete Seeger uh, on the choir. And I figured, you know, His Holiness and Pete Seeger, (laughs) I've gone to the mountain. Uh, Marin County was the first threshold choir that I started. Uh, The second one was in Berkeley, in San Francisco, Palo Alto, Sonoma County, and then it spread. And now it's all over the UK, starting in Germany, Australia, New Zealand, Phnom Penh, but mostly in the United States. And a tremendous amount of our community takes place via the internet. Um, The way we share our music, the way we communicate with one another. To me, it's one of the most beautiful benefits of being connected electronically to people. Sylvia wants me to tell you about a little campaign I started uh, two nights ago to send solar lights, solar lanterns, little solar lanterns to Puerto Rico. And because of my um, Threshold Choir connections around the world, within the first 20 hours we sent 200 lanterns to Puerto Rico. It's ongoing, <clears throat> and I'll tell you how to, how to connect with it if you're interested. Um, and our soft hearts have to organize. Our soft hearts have to connect with one another to be powerful enough to counteract what's looking like it's going on uh, in our government. Um, so it's, it's an honor and a thrill to be with families when often for the very first time they are encountering the chaos and the disruption that happens when someone is dying in their family. And we offer ways for them to stop spinning around making brownies and cleaning bathrooms we offer a model for them to sit quietly with their loved one and share stories, read poetry, sing songs, hum, but spend that precious fleeting time with their loved one before they die. At this point I would probably ask if there are any questions, um, but I think that's the... um, the nut of what I want you to know right now. I actually have a question. Um, so you do this through the internet then? No, we go in person. We make connections. We connect with one another. We are a, an organization without an office. So all of our organizational stuff happens on the internet. We try to focus on doing it right face-to-face. We have done it 
through Skype or on the phone a couple of times, but it's not the same as being there in person. You know, we have more and more, but it's um, it's not our primary age range. Um, but as we grow, um, we're gaining more and more. I'm actually talking with the Girl Scouts of America trying to create a bedside singing badge for for older older Girl Scouts. And I know that you work in, with infants and we do have teams that sing at um, in ICUs and NICUs. Yeah, and I also started working with the dying and elderly when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I volunteered and then went into a job. Mm-hmm. And they used to get such joy. I mean, it was just something about a young person mm-hmm. being around. Just, they could walk in the room and I felt like I gave them a lot of happiness mm-hmm. from that. So that's what it has me. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Really about the Girl Scouts, it's totally awesome in terms of a life skill. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about not tying. I mean, it's good to tie knots, but it's, <laughs> you know, but to be able to stay and and be okay mm-hmm. and present and uh, alert it with people dying is a is a. I think it's a skill that people had generations ago because people mm-hmm. died at home, right. so that you were used to having somebody through the end of their days at home. Well, I'm people living with them. I grew mm-hmm. up with a grandmother in my house all, mm-hmm. of, all of my life, but now it's, all, it's not so much. I was thinking that the line that perhaps uh, I most wanted to pick up on that you said was our soft hearts have to organize. I was thinking about, um, in general, the, the, the larger point around the extraordinary work that you do with singing with dying people is uh, you and the people who come along with you to do that on all over the world. People who are not frightened so much by what's going on mm-hmm. that they can be the person who is steady in that moment. And in moments of crisis, like the passing of somebody out of this world, it's very hard not to let one's own emotions, not to really uh, so confuse the mind that we say or do things that are not helpful. I was thinking about recently, the, I think the word that, words that I have started using the, these last few years as I am older are words like comforting and companioning and consoling. I, you know, as I've, I've, it's uh, very... Uh, trending in modern meditation to be talking about compassion and in fact uh, my own my own sense is that someday we'll stop calling it mindfulness com- practice which uh, nobody actually quite it's a funny word mindfulness uh, and not distinctly American you know it's a, it's a it's an adaptation of uh, British paying attention, mind the gap when you get off the train. Um, and the earliest, uh, the earliest translators of um, uh, texts of the Buddha into English were British at the beginning of the 20th century, end of the 19th century. And it was a, it was a term that they used for paying attention. 
in a warm-hearted, present way. And I, I think to myself when I say sometimes lightheartedly, but I mean it, I think it'd be great if we called it compassion practice rather than mindfulness practice because somebody, and I don't remember who, many years ago said to me, you know, every act of, every moment of mindfulness is an act of compassion. And there's a certain way in which it is because really the definition of mindfulness is the ability to know what's happening and to know what's coming up inside one's own body and mind in response to it. And as a result of that, to be able to let the mind stay poised and balanced, able to see clearly what is it that I can do that is not going to add suffering to this moment. That's really the definition of mindfulness. And I think it's an act of compassion not to add suffering to any moment because life is complicated and potentially a struggle with loss or an ongoing uh, practice in adapting to loss an ongoing practice of saying this isn't what I wanted but it's what I got and how can I do something now that doesn't make it worse for myself or for others you know, self compassion as well for as for myself or for others that practicing mindfulness or practicing compassion is the resolve um, it's, actually the, it's actually that part of the eightfold path that somehow doesn't get spoken about a lot but it's called wise effort the effort to discern moment to moment is what I'm about to do uh, in the direction of uh, increasing wholesome states in the mind or decreasing them or increasing unwholesome states in the mind and decreasing it and it's always a question of moving the energy over to wholesome states in the mind doesn't necessarily mean pleased or delighted it means caring and loving and warm and empathic and recognizing that everybody's doing the only thing that they can do whether or not you approve of it or not not to raise um, angst or ire in one's own mind which really confuse it I was thinking so much because uh, in anticipation of you coming of instances in my life when um, being able to console somebody at momentous moments like dying moments seems so important, if, especially if you can, if you're honest about this is happening. But it's all right. Um, everybody does it differently. My father. Um, my father uh, died of multiple myeloma after a long time of having it. And we certainly talked about it all the time. And he knew from the beginning that there wasn't a cure for it. There is actually now not a cure for it, but a maintenance for it. But this was 35 years ago. And uh, in, the, in the end, uh, I was sitting with him one evening and he said, you know, uh, he was already quite incapacitated and he knew that his death was not long in the future and he said you know I'm not worried about dying I'm not worried about being dead he said I just worry about the moment that I'm dying he said I'm afraid that that's going to be terrible so I said you know dad I don't think it's going to be I don't think you're going to know about it what you've got I think you'll be asleep at that time 
So when it happens, I think you'll probably not be conscious in that time. So you won't even know about it. He said, you think so? I said, yeah, I think so. He said, okay, turn on the ball game and we'll watch. You know, but, and so I, I, th- I love that story because you just have to reassure moment to moment, this moment is okay. You know, I, this moment is really all right. That's all we can ever tell anybody. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the next moment is going to be like. I don't know what the moment is going to be after. I don't know anything about what happens after people die. That doesn't seem as significant as this moment can be okay. And that's that's why I think um, our invitation to bedsides from people who are looking forward to being consoled in the moment, um, because they're inviting to their bedside people who believe we're all going to die, and not everybody in our culture shares that belief, um, especially people without gray hair. Um, and it's, it, I think it's an act of great comfort to uh, say, please come and sing for me, um, and, and we'll all explore together what this mortality jo- journey means. I think, actually, I, I thought about it earlier this morning in anticipation of your being here, that being sung to must be the first thing that happens to us of comfort mm-hmm. in our life, in a, of, along with being fed and kept warm, of course. But, you know, uh, people who have... I, I, I think everybody who's had a child and, and is in a good health when, after they've delivered the child and the child as well, is you start to talk to it right away and mm-hmm. sing to it. And um, Well, and you probably... If you're a singer, you sang to it while it was within you. Yeah. And that was um, a really good introduction. Yeah. I wonder if anybody, you know, there have been like hundreds of mindfulness experience, uh, mindfulness uh, research projects mm-hmm. in the last 20 years, more than hundreds actually. I wonder if anyone has ever done a project with putting a, 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 or one of those uh, whatever it, whatever machine, an EEG machine or an fMRI machine over a uh, uh, pregnant mother's belly and have they and listen no. and listen to the baby while people are singing I don't think they have I'm but sure babies hear it yeah I'd sure love to know it would be interesting. I guess you could do it by word of mouth. I mean, by anecdotal. You mm-hmm. could ask a room full of women. Uh, but imagine if someone sang to you, you feel better when someone sings you a lullaby. They all mean you're going to be all right. Everything's okay. And in the larger sense, everything's okay. I mean, even dying when you die. I remember reading... Um, Oh, Cutting for Stone. Do you mm-hmm. Did you read yes, that? Yes, I did. That's a really powerful Beautiful book. book. And that uh, where, I, I think it's true, that the first thing that first responders are taught to say to people that they arrive at their accident or their illness or their whatever, is you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Even that they might die. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that. And it doesn't have to... It, it could look really tragic when you get there, but you're going to be okay. They're also told not to say anything not okay 
mm-hmm. even if the person appears not to be alert or unconscious, that somehow you're going to be okay, calms down the nervous system, mm-hmm. which is something in favor of healing happening. And you're forgiven the lie, if it is a lie. <laughs> you, know, you just want to hear it, yeah. you know? It's like you, you, somebody, you, you fall down, your mother picks you up and says, I'm kissing it and making it all better. I, you know, how many people kissed somebody and said, I'm making it all better? Didn't the person that you kissed make it all better stop right away? Or soon? Because really, whether, you know, it hurts a little bit. It hurts part of it. But the other part is the indignity and the shock. And someone picks you up and says, I'm kissing it, and it's all better. And we're sharing the attention of it. Yeah. And we, I'm, I'm acknowledging it. Picking you up, you're cared for. How many people can remember being sung to by their mothers? So Sylvia, since we're all going to die, there's probably a chant or a simple song that we could now sing in Kate in a call and response kind of way. We're going to sing. Oh, we are going to sing. We are going to sing. We're first going to listen to singing. You want to start now? Or you want to give some instructions for them Kate's going to go in the back with Jan and uh, Jan and Karen. Karen, <clears throat> because she felt it would be better not to see them singing. Be better for you to be looking forward and just hear the singing. And I said that we normally sat quietly for thirty-five, or for sometimes forty minutes. Thirty-five seems good. Thirty-five seems good. And uh, about that amount of time. They're not going to sing the whole 35 minutes. They'll sing a little while, then they'll sit a little while, then they'll sing a little while, then we'll sit. And I won't say anything. I'll just be here. And the holding the space, and Kate will be back there with Jan and Karen. And uh, afterwards, we'll have time to talk about our experience and how it was for us and maybe share uh, something of... uh, how we are with this topic these days. Uh, the cover of this latest uh, Lion's Roar magazine says death is the greatest teacher of all. And I notice that when people, uh, well, we'll talk more about it later. Why don't we maybe do that? Mm-hmm. I'd like to actually begin with that good um, suggestion that we all sing one song together. Okay. <clears throat> The lyrics are from Ramdas. We are all just walking each other home. And I'll sing a line and you sing it back. <clears throat> we are all just walking each other home. 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 We are all just walking each other Just walking each other home. We are all 
just walking each other home. You can pretend you know it. Sing it through. We are all just walking each other home. So you do know it. We are all just walking each other home. We are all just walking each other home. We are all just walking each other home. Last time, add some harmony. We are all just walking each other home. 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 While I'm walking to the back, I'd love for you to know the second verse to that song, which is, we are all just doing the best we
whenever you want to open your eyes. our habit at the end of sitting together quietly for people to feel welcome to mention who they're thinking about with special prayers. I know we're all thinking about um, Ace Liebman who's going to get better. I'm thinking a lot about my friend Rachel, who you all have heard about from me, who um, very likely is not going to get better from her condition, and uh, who is comfortable with what's happening with her. And I hope she'll be able to be that way for the rest of her time. Who are you thinking about? I'm thinking about my friend Jody, who's lived in her house that she built for 60 years and is transitioning to an independent living situation. That's so extraordinary. But in my thinking with her and being with her, I realize that it's a transition that we all will take at some point. And so may it be filled with ease and well-being. I'm thinking about my cousin Michelle, who just yesterday finished uh, radiation and had done chemo and a radical mastectomy for breast cancer and is now what we know cancer-free. And my cousin Howard, who is uh, dealing with his second Um, out of cancer in his life. And I got a really bad prognosis, prognosis, but just yesterday got some, some positive news that maybe the tumor should be Well, I'm sure you must all be thinking about the victims of the terrible violence on, on Monday. Just bringing up so much emotion for me thinking about that. A lot of love to their families. A lot of anger and a lot of emotions coming up for me around just when is it going to be enough? The guns.
months from the date, they did not go. And um, hearing on the TV everything that's happening, they had friends who were shot. Not who didn't die, but life is it's so impactful for her to know that she could have been there with her husband. I can't help but uh, think about my father-in-law who uh, had the pleasure and has been to myself and my whole family uh, passing while uh, Canada David was singing to him. I'm sending love and light to my one-year-old grandson who's just uh, entering his, starting his second year of life and all that wonder and joy. To Ellen who has ALS and is declining quickly and we know what that road ahead is likely to be like for her when she find peace. And Ben who just received a liver transplant and he's recuperating and uh, love and light to the woman who died and had donor written on her driver's license and a healthy liver that Ben could receive love and light to all these beings. I'm thinking also of the young woman from uh, 
Nevada, I think just over the hill, who was in Las Vegas with her husband, a policeman. did not survive and uh, who leaves um, who leaves her two children who are 10 and 13 years old Also thinking of the Buddha saying that anyone who understands impermanence ceases to be contentious. My own my own sense as I sit with you every week and we share who is passing in and out of this world and and particularly this morning with the startling, startling events of the last three days with people in the best of health celebrating who suddenly aren't alive anymore. What's, what's absent from me in moments like this Even from the beginning of listening to the voices singing until the end, is I feel as if, and it must be true for you as well, that our hearts get tenderized. That by the time, from the time the, this morning began until the singing ended, if there was any negativity in my mind, any animosity in my mind. It just, uh, it gets tenderized out. I think that must happen to you. Really that, you know, I'm broken hearted about what happened. But I don't feel like I want to have room to be angry. That, uh, I think we can be mindfully broken-hearted. We can't fix it. Unlike death in general, it didn't have to happen. Death has to happen to everybody, but it doesn't have to happen that way. But still, it seems to me I don't know, I don't even know why, but all all the fight goes out of me when I just quietly sit with how brokenhearted I feel about that loss. And when I listen, I thought I would invite you to say something about your experience of hearing the Threshold Singers. Do you want to say how you felt? What was your experience? As I listened, at first I was wishing they were liked. 
Thank you very much. I thought also that I had to listen very hard, but then I thought this is so good to listen very hard, because if I listen very hard, then that faculty wakes up and everything else stops, because I'm busy listening very hard. It's an antidote to uh, restless mind. It's a focuser of mind. I'm sure that that's. I'm, I'm sure that that's the plan, Kate. Is it not? Thank you very much. You know, you just parenthetically, you remind me of the meditation instruction when people just begin to meditate and they're just starting to sit. I, I sometimes remember to say, for the first few minutes, just try to listen. And uh, even though without people singing... The room is very, very quiet. There's a way in which when I listen, even in a very quiet room, as if I'm a sleuth and I'm just really trying to hear, my whole, my whole body presents itself to me more because it is a way of focusing the attention and it wakes up everything else. wakes up the hearing, but it wakes up the feeling of the breath as well. Maybe other people noticed it. Susan. When the singing began, I was very aware of listening to singers. And as I got deeper into my own meditation, when the voices came in, it felt more otherworldly, like I was listening to angels. I was handed this. <laughs> um, when I couldn't articulate the words, I just kind of let go into just feeling the resonance of the sound. And um, I was feeling, I, I take care of uh, a lot of cats and do hospice care for them. And it's been a learning experience for me. And sometimes I get traumatized at the end. 
um, wanting to make sure I'm doing the right thing for them, but I realize how much this music could help me with the cats at the end, not just for them, but for me as well, and bring us just simplify to the heart of the matter, to letting go and just being in the resonance of it. Um, as soon as the singing started, even with the first song, I felt my heart kind of break open and just start pouring out through my eyes. <laughs> and then I was very distracted by um, what was happening with my face. And um, But I was thinking of the hospice nurse who sang over my friend's body as he passed. And just so beautiful. I'm definitely not a religious person, but I would agree if, if with the concept of angels and that's what they must sound like. But as beautiful as, as it was, I found the moments of silence in between the songs uh, had a beauty of itself also. I felt a tremendous calm when I was listening. I was just so, you know, put into a place that was so peaceful. And I can see going out that way. It was so beautiful. Thank you. I do love the peace and quiet of Spirit Rock and I try to spend some time at Glide Baptist Church and there's singing and dancing and that's something that's really engaging for me and I kind of wish that we could have something like this now instead of when we're dying. I was thinking about what you brought up about um, about babies. Um, I'm an assistant midwife, and I've been at a lot of births um, where sound has been a really important part of the, the coping mechanism. And with my own daughters, um, I was able to have two natural births, I think mainly because of hot water and sound. Um, I was just had everyone in the room do a an ah, ah, ohm kind of sound, low sound, and that was what got me through the hardest parts of the labor. And I have heard that, um, that in, in the womb, the first sense that, um, that humans um, get is sound. That's the very first thing, is, is hearing. And then the very last thing I've also heard before you go is, is the faculty of hearing. Did you have your babies in a bathtub? 
Uh, my, my second was in the bathtub, yeah. Berkeley. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you're the only person in this room who had a baby in a bathtub. Is that true? I'm grateful to Kate and Karen and Jan for that beautiful music and the sound of three voices coming together that many times sounded just like one voice and then just one, just a human sound coming out. And then when they would split into three-part harmony, there was this glee of, ah, there are three. And then they would come back to one. And that um, moved through me in a, a new way, hearing the songs from the outside being sung to me by one voice, three voices, one voice, my own voice. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. What struck me with the music, um, whether it's in death or with, like, inside a fetus or anything, is that in medicine now, you know, we go so much to pills, even at the end of life, and even in NICU with the babies. And yet, massage, touch, the beautiful music we just experienced, um, you know, these are all old ways that comforted people. And so, you know, it makes me sad that we don't. We are starting to have pain clinics that look at acupuncture, different things like that. But um, years ago, and probably 25 years ago, there were doctors developmentally when we'd have premature infants that would watch how our touch as nurses affected their oxygenation, mm-hmm. the tests and everything. And so these studies really have been kind of going on, mm-hmm. but they haven't really exploded like mm-hmm. probably they should. And sometimes I wonder if it's financial stuff too. You know, it's easier to give somebody a pill mm-hmm. than to get people together to bring them to a room to do that wonderful singing and wonderful music, mm-hmm. which would probably do a lot more on relaxing them and letting them go through their mm-hmm. pain and passage than anything else. Anyways, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the fact that... Um, uh, one of my sons is a physician and uh, uh, now in his mid-50s and he, when he went to medical school and called back after his first day of classes so this would have been in the mid-80s he said uh, we had a lecture today from a man in his 90s who's a retired physician who said, you know, talking to this class of young men and women by that time, already in their, maybe in their 20s, maybe early 30s. And he said, you know, when I began to practice medicine, we didn't have anything but aspirin and digitalis to give people. So we had to give, so we had to learn bedside care. And uh, I remember that he, you know, he called home and that was his most significant day 
And, uh, you know, my own experience, and probably yours as well, is that the people who have been most helpful as healers to me have been the people who talk an extra minute or put their hand on yours or say something personal. I remember thinking one time, uh, in some particular time that I need, I needed a certain kind of a doctor, that there were two things that she would say to me. One of two things, uh, when I came for my regular appointment, this whole thing is way in the past now. She'd say, how are you doing? And I'd say, well, I'm feeling better. And she'd say, I'm so glad. And I would feel like she really was. And then sometimes when there was some problem, I said, you know, I'm having a little problem with this. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry about that. I'm sure we can find something to do. And it's years now, and I remember the tone of her voice when she said, I'm so glad, and I'm so sorry. Like they're regular people, physicians, you know? (laughs) And they feel good or bad, depending on whether you're ill or not ill. We really do... Uh, you know the the mention of um, Las Vegas. It was a terrible, terrible thing, and there's all the things to say about um, which I want to do minimally today because I, we're in a different place. But I think the talk about I think you probably all agree it doesn't require any more talk. That all the talk about what was the motive and we don't know the motive the motive is not the crucial point the motive is actually irrelevant with all those people wounded and dead what's the proximal cause of that I'm prepared to say that the proximal cause of that tremendous catastrophe was the availability of weapons of mass destruction to every person who can walk into a gun store that's the proximal cause. The motive is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it's this kind of fanaticism, that kind of fanaticism, personal mental health. It matters that... Anyway, that's, that's enough of that, except that it inspires me to then go back and support the kinds of causes that I... I'm really impressed, Kate, that you started the... Come back and sit up here with me. Started, started that lantern for um, Puerto Rico because I thought someone has got to start you're a great starter start the um, I, we don't have to start it it's in progress the ideas for making it a crime to have a weapon of mass destruction let's do it so you do it put it on the internet put it as a petition you know on what there's that petition thing that you can do what's it called what's a petition there's a petition website Hmm? not move on no no Hmm? no no not that I had a petition up on it last year I've just forgotten the name of it Um, but it puts you you make a petition and make a petition. Not change. 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 Change.org. You put a petition. 
And some of them get, you know, 100,000, 500,000 responses. But that, for sure. I mean, you were going to tell a story of coming to Spirit Rock because you wanted to meet the Dalai Lama and how that inspired. Can I ask you a question mm-hmm. as a prelude to that? Was uh, singing a big part of your adult life mm-hmm. before this? Why don't you give a little resume of Kate Munger's life? I was born. <laughs> My mother was a singer and sang to each of us every night individually. And I remember hearing her, because uh, I was the eldest, she would start with the youngest and sing at each of our bedsides. And um, I started singing in high school college, got much stronger in college, and then I started leading community singing in my hometown of Inverness. And that led to um, my knowing that this was an important activity when I sat at my friend Larry's bedside and sang to him in 1990 uh, for two and a half hours when I recognized that singing softly was a way to calm the sitter and the sung to, the, the singer and the sung, sung to. And then I became um, a classroom elementary music teacher so that I had the skills uh, to start the choir in 2000. And yes, I was here for that Buddhist teacher's conference, bowed to His Holiness right out there on the on the street right out in front of this building which didn't exist at the time and I was uh, washing dishes when his um, attendant was making his lunch and she was this little tiny Tibetan woman stirring the porridge on the stove almost over her head and I had brought a pink lily from my garden and the the moist air from the dishwashing station had opened this lily, and I asked this gal if His Holiness would like uh, this flower on his lunch tray. Oh, yes, he would like that flower. And 20 minutes later, I was doing dishes again, and I felt um, a profound physical current going through me to the point where I had to stop washing dishes and I'm not a woo-woo person but I knew that it was His Holiness saying thank you from a distance and uh, that was a profound experience and then I was the last person to bow to him as he and his entourage were leaving Spirit Rock at the end of his time here and I watched him turn left out of the driveway where we're all supposed to turn (laughs) right and I figured well His Holiness gets to do whatever he wants (laughs) and not only that but his limousine was going to drive right by the Safeway and then I thought you never know when the, the guy in the car in front of you might be the Dalai Lama And I wrote a little song that goes like this. You never know when the guy in the car in front of you might be 
the Dalai Lama or his mama. <laughs> and it's made me a better driver. Could we sing that with you? You never know when the guy in the car in front of you might be the Dalai Lama. Do it again. You never know when the guy in the car in front of you might be the Dalai Lama or his mama. <laughs> really, I love that. You know what I when I when I'm good, when my mind's in a good shape and I'm in terrible traffic and getting annoyed at all the people around me, especially those zipping in and out. I think to myself, actually, they're all my benefactors because so far, in the moment that I'm getting annoyed at all of them, none of them has crashed into me. Or so far, so good. So far, <laughs> nobody has caused me to have an accident. So instead of being annoyed, then the annoyance is always like super ridiculous because I'm annoyed that they're driving alone, wasting fuel, and not uh, bring people with them in the car, and like practically 100% of the time I'm alone in my car when I'm thinking that. So it's totally ridiculous. But if I think that, and then I switch it around to, I am really grateful to these people because so far I'm still here. Thank you very much, everybody, and what can I do? It's that, you know, you get uncomfortable and you go, but, you know, it's a momentary, and then you... And then that choice is always available to us to switch channels. Yeah. Singing to me is switching the channel. It's always saying, I can take responsibility for how how I am, how I'm feeling. And this this kind of singing, because it's done uh, as prayer, without ego, it transforms instantly and this the secret um in the threshold choir is that it's delicious this work is delicious to those who are called to do it it's it's um mostly not terribly sad it's mostly terribly uplifting and the truth is the vibration of the singing heals us and our tissue as singers before it even gets out to the person we're singing to. So I think of it as being um, a way of conveying to the person um, that you're not afraid. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who told me many, many years ago about uh, her friend. My friend is a Catholic nun. A friend of hers, a young woman, a Catholic nun, died of breast cancer. It was a sad thing in the community. And she was saying how moved she had been, my friend told me, how moved she had been at the bedside of her friend who was dying. The friend's mother was there. And um, I don't remember what, uh, uh, let's say her name was Jane. Uh, And her mother saying to her at a time that Jane was struggling with her breath, she said, it's all right, Jane, you're just dying. And I thought to myself, how could she do a thing like that? But people of profound faith Mm -hmm. can be able to do that. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that, the, you know, I don't know if I, I, maybe, maybe I could do that if my relative, may it not happen, would be dying of a natural cause. I think if my relative was harmed by somebody, nothing like this, I'd need somebody else to say that mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. or to hold me together. It, it's an impossible thought. I, try, I tried to think about how it would be. You can't even put that thought in your mind, can you? I'm thinking about your friends who sold their tickets. You know, they could have not. You know, it's, all, it's just like that all the time. I don't know. I was, gonna, I was thinking of, I didn't know if it was good to ask, how many people, when they were here during the time that the singing was happening, had the thought, I hope that they, someone arranges this for me when it's my time. <laughs> I thought that. I thought that will not be bad at all. When I started the choir, I thought it would be something that everyone would want. And it's not. It's a, it's, a, it's a unique choice to ask for this kind of intimacy from strangers at a, at a time that is fraught with questions and instability. Um, and now I, I think it's way less than 40% of the population would ask for something like Thank this us. in America. In another con- country, another culture, it might be different. See, that I, I remember just before we, we came in today, we were upstairs talking about it, and I said, you know, the main thing is it holds your hand. I said, maybe I'll tell everybody, hold somebody's hand for just a minute. Hold somebody's hand for a minute. No, but don't leave anybody else. Susan, here's a person over here who needs a hand. There you go. Everybody's got a hand. Everybody's got a hand. Hold the hand, hold the hand. Okay. Okay, no, <laughs> hold an elbow. <laughs> you know, I think about it as like, um, cross me over the street, what you do when you... Mm-hmm. I thought about one time, one time when I was, uh, many years ago I was flying home from Southern California. Uh, it's just a short flight from LAX up to SFO. But it was very tremendous bad weather all of a sudden. The plane was bouncing around terribly. And uh, I thought it'd be all right. I wasn't terrified, but I certainly, you, you think about it. You look around and everybody's looking, trying to look. And there was a woman next to me who I didn't know. And I put out my hand like this, and she took it. And we just sat like that. Mm-hmm. And we didn't say anything, anything until the bouncing finished. Then we gave back the hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I think that that's what we do when we're... Uh, the same thing happened to me shortly after that, and I was in one of those little, uh, what do you call commuter flights between Boston and Portland, Maine, or something. There's a short flight with one seat on either side of a very narrow aisle, in what looks like a you know a flying cigar, it's such a small airplane. You can't even stand up, mm-hmm. and on the way up, it's bouncing terribly. And uh, I looked around for someone. <laughs> then I was the only woman on the flight, 
And all these men looked very stiff up her lip and looking straight ahead. And I said, no, I said I'm not going to start with anybody. Right. Right. <laughs> but if they'd been women. Yeah. <laughs> when I started the choir, the, the statistic that was really in the forefront of my mind was that one in four Americans have no one that they communicate with on an intimate basis and that one in four Americans have one person in their lives that they communicate with on an intimate, ongoing basis. To me, that said, half of the American population is completely isolated. And the way I know to become unisolated is to sing with people. And so that was a a real focus, um, real purpose in, besides the bedside, Aspect. It was to create a community of people who are connected by beautiful poetry and lovely singing. How did you come from arranging? Uh, how did you come from being a school music teacher that suddenly having a threshold choir? You just asked some people. Mm-hmm. I I knew a lot of singers at the time, and they knew a lot of singers at the time. And then the internet was a tremendous help. And in 2003, a beautiful article happened in Real Simple magazine that apparently has found its way in every doctor's office across the country and is staying there. It's not leaving. And that article gave us a meteoric rise. Um, Did you go personally to all those choirs in the whole world? I've been to a hundred of them. People get together and say, all right, we want to do this now, Kate will come. Mm-hmm. When they sing in other countries, they sing in another language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they translate our music. Um, we're translating it here into Spanish so that we can sing to people in their native language. How but, do you say we are just walking each other home? Caminando. Uh, how does it go? Caminando todo... Juntos a nuestro hogar. Yeah, and soften my heart is suavizando mi corazón. Oh, suavizando is wonderful. Suavizando mi corazón. Oh, I love it. First of all, the the things that you say are such nice things. We're just all walking each other. I can hear that Ramdas saying that and I think of course we are mm-hmm. of course we are I always think of that with holding hands you know when I'm in airports you see people walking along holding hands like this two adults and you see parents holding the hand of a child down here child is up the parent is down and but then you see like a, a grown up an adult holding up the parent and walking them. Mm-hmm. And I think we're just like changing who holds whose hand. That's right. And somebody, a friend of mine, my very same friend who's a nun who told me the other story, has a doctorate in a certain Spanish philosopher, his name was McDonald, I think, whose whole thesis was that we are handed hand-to-hand through life, that some hands catch us mm-hmm. and other hands put us in the grave And in between, we just are holding hands with people who are moving us one to another. And so seriously, in Carousel, I think you'll never walk alone. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Never walk alone. Um, Our love is here to stay. (laughs) You know, there are a lot of old songs that are wonderful at bedsides. 
So I want to know, how does that, uh, the, the threshold choir support itself? At this point, exclusively by member donations. And we just started um, collecting data so that we can go to foundations and um, get more money. It actually doesn't cost much to run this organization. Um, you know, we don't have fancy offices and we don't uh, have beautiful outfits and uh, matching hats. So it's... it's and our services are all free, so there's not... Um... <laughs> you don't need a musical instrument because you carry That's it right. with you. That's right. <laughs> well, I, w- I was thinking, tell about that, because people have put a certain amount of money in that box outside, which normally I would get. So on behalf of everybody here, I am going to give it to you as a present. Thank you. And I thought we'd give half of it to the Fresh Oak Choir and half of it to the... Puerto Rican <laughs> cause or all of it to that okay. or all of it whatever you want but also tell people how they can sign up because that way only I will be written down for being on the, the threshold right. choir list how will they get to be first of all if you want to find out more about the threshold choir you can go to our website which is thresholdchoir.org if you'd like to send uh, more lanterns, solar lanterns, to Puerto Rico, you can give me your email address and I'll send you the, the email. Um, or it's I Kate can, Munger, isn't it? It's Friends of Kate is the name of the... Or, um, yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful website I went yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it is. The other thing is I could put the request up on the Wednesday morning email list I don't know who ever anybody looks on that Wednesday morning email not a lot it exists for years but not, yeah. not a lot of okay. people look at it I could put it on my Facebook oh I did put it on my Facebook yesterday there you go I did I put it on my that's Facebook that's the quickest yesterday. way to get it then yeah, I did but Thank also you. you could look at friendsofkate.org and you could look at Threshold Choir uh, friendsofkate.org does not exist um Luminade is the name of the company. L-U-M-I-N-A-I-D is the name of the company that sends the lanterns. And if you go to their website, there's a way to donate. It might not go through Friends of Kate, but um, I don't know how else. I I think Sylvia's Facebook page is your best bet. Okay. You know what? I'll see if I can get my... uh my IT person to take out a piece of the singing and put it as an audio in the Facebook. Cool. cool. Somebody's yeah. They're being delivered from their uh, association on the ground with an organization called Something of Hope, um, and they they have established. Um, people on the ground that have trucks and welcome flights and, you know, this is all happening very smoothly. They work because people stick them out in the day and they get the sun mm-hmm. on them mm-hmm. and then they just bring it. Yeah. Then they have light at night. Again, I, it, it just it's, we could sit and sit and sit because I think it makes people feel better to sit together mm-hmm. quietly um, I think people come here because we sit together quietly in the middle of this bizarre world. 
but we also are in this building on this property uh, where so much brilliance and generosity has generated and continues to generate. The, all, all these years, I mean, this was built all by people's um, gifts. We have no mortgage. Yeah. Amazing. That was an amazing budget, but people actually built it with an idea that seemed so important to do that, that everybody had a stake in it. Really, thank you so much for coming. My great, great pleasure. And thank you for being good meditators and good singers. Could I tell one tiny more story? Yes. I wear two necklaces. One is a string of elephants. The other is a string of angels. And my spiritual practice is when people ask me about my necklaces, I ask if I can sing to them. And I sing so many angels, which we sang to you this morning. And a year ago, I was on my way uh, out of Oakland Airport, and I'd forgotten my picture ID. And I went up to the Southwest ticket counter hoping for a miracle, and the woman behind the counter said, I remember you, you're going to sing for me. And I said, yes, I am. And not only that, I'm going to ask you for a miracle. And she said, I love miracles. I love making the angels work. And she got me right on that airplane. (laughs) You know, the and, and the everyday miracle is that we keep being assaulted. I really am touched by what by what you said before. I really think we've all been tremendously assaulted by news yesterday, the day before, and for the past year or two or what, and that we can console each other just by our presence here. So I want to hope that as we go out into the world today, we take something of this. um, I love the idea that anybody who really understands impermanence ceases to be contentious to be able to be dedicated and ardent and broken hearted but not contentious next time you invite me back that quote will be a song ah (laughs) well I'll come back soon and also Jan and Karen thank you so much come back soon so may we all go out from here inspired and may our inspiration carry us through whatever we do for the rest of these days and the people we meet the Buddha also said go forth O monks and teach the holy dharma in the idiom of the people and we do every time we go out of here and we do whatever it is that we do in the world with kindness and compassion that's the idiom that all people speak may we be peaceful and good-hearted with ourselves and on behalf of all beings.